What's encouraging as well, though, is that those those activities earlier in life do pay off down the road. So middle age activity, uh, later life activity before that cognitive decline happens can sort of put some resources in the bank to, to sort of to lay out that cognitive decline. Hey, what's up? This is Corey Dion Lewis, clinical health coach and host of the Healthy Project podcast. Now, the research shows that social determinants can have a greater impact on your health more than healthcare or lifestyle choices. The purpose of this podcast is to discuss how to improve health and reduce health inequity by speaking to healthcare professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs. Now, if you're enjoying the podcast, give it a review. Or you can also make a donation to The Healthy Project using the link in the description. It takes 30 seconds and it's super easy. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Now let's get started. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Healthy Project Podcast. I am your host, Corey Dion Lewis. I have a great guest with me today. I have Dr. Michelle Voss. She is the associate professor in the Department of Psychological and Brain Sciences at the University of Iowa. Dr. Voss, thank you so much for being with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk. Yeah. So before we get into uh, the topic at hand, can you tell the people a little bit about yourself and uh, what gets you up in the morning? Sure, sure. So, so yeah, I'm uh, an associate professor in psychological and brain sciences, and I'm lucky enough to be able to have a job to to do things along the lines of my personal passion, which is physical activity and how we can maximize our own personal best, whether it be mental health, uh, physical health, performance, any of those lines, and do that you know as we age and have a good experience as we get older. So that's really what gets up gets me up in the day is sort of understanding how we can each maximize sort of our personal best and find our personal best. And in my, in my lab, we get to center the brain in that question in terms of if we understand how the brain works, how it changes as we get older, then can we understand what we can do to support that uh, function as long as we can. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And, and for, I understand what you guys are kind of focused on too, is how exercise plays a part in, and uh, brain function and, and plasticity, you know, and things like that. So can you tell us a little bit more mm-hmm. about, about that work, things you're, you're learning and, and um, things like that? Yeah. So it turns out that one of the best things we can do for our brain as we get older is being physically active. Uh, and when we look at different uh, research studies that look at how people change their behavior and what that can do to support things like memory that we want to keep as long as possible, that physical activity has one has the most evidence behind it at this point in terms of behaviors we can do. Um, and so our, in our lab, we're trying to understand how that works and, and how it can work differently for different people. Um, and so we're interested in, in what is it about that, that movement throughout the day and what is the role of intensity, for example, because we see intensity of physical activity as sort of at the crux of how we might maximize the benefit for our heart. But also when people think about being active with high intensity, they kind of shy away and might not want to be as, it might, you know, sort of get in the way of changing our behavior. So if we can kind of understand then what are the key pieces, for example, with intensity, how do we then sort of put that into a behavior change framework to think about, well, now that we know, you know, what parts of our, our intensity of physical activity are important, 
how do we sort of think about then changing behavior to keep those key parts in uh, while we're enjoying it? Because we know that's important. Right on. Like you said something very, very important too. Like a lot of people, when they think of cardiovascular activity or any kind of physical activity is all for heart health. No one ever Mm -hmm. really thinks, at least who I work with, ever think think of brain health or cognitive function for um, how exercise can help improve that or or prevent any loss in that or kind of keep it together, I guess. What what is the effect of exercise on cognitive function? Like, what does that affect Mm -hmm. or what does it do? Yeah, I mean, well, first, one thing you said that's really important is that uh, one thing we know about the brain is is that what's good for the heart is good for the brain. So, in terms of a behavior change standpoint, it's 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 a it's a great thing to keep in mind that if you're keeping your heart healthy, you know that is going to be payoff for your brain as you get older. Um, one reason is because one of the things that happens as we get older is is the vessels in our brain might get a little stiffer and can't deliver the blood that we need and physical activity has been shown to sort of maintain that blood flow in the brain in areas that really need it. And so that is one way that was, you know, sort of think how exercise can benefit the ability of the brain to keep functioning. Um, other things though, that, that are less intuitive, I think are that, uh, the idea that physical activity, um, can increase what we call neurotrophic factors that can happen in our blood flow, but also directly sort of their sort of proteins in the brain that help the neurons in our brain function. So it helps, we think of the neurons in our brain as sort of plants that have deep roots and then bodies that can grow or shrink based on the environment. These neurotrophic factors, like brain-derived neurotrophic factor, like fertilizer, like they help the plants Mm. grow and they help maintain function or growth even in harsh environments. And and lots of studies from animal studies, animal models, and humans have shown that uh, exercise can increase neurotrophic factors, particularly in, in animals. We can see that actually physically in the brain, especially in areas important for memory, which like the hippocampus. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been one piece of evidence I think that's really uh, encouraging because if we can see a direct effect on the ability of our brain cells to grow and function and connect with themselves to maintain memory, we can kind of see a direct effect of how physical activity could benefit the brain cells themselves. Right, right. So understanding that diet and exercise are both very important pieces, right? Mm -hmm. But um, this next question is coming from a mindset of with the people that I serve at Brawlbonds, a lot of underserved and most vulnerable populations where mm-hmm. uh, proper nutrition, uh, proper diet really are, really are difficult. Like not, not just because they don't want to eat a healthy diet. It's just, it's just difficult financially for them. So this question that asks, you know, understanding that yes, diet and exercise are both very important, but when we're thinking about things people can do, to um, maintain cognitive function, improve their brain health, um, brain healthy diets versus physical activity. Does one have an advantage over the other? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really common question. I think really important. Um, in sort of our research, we do less, we do um, sort of study the aspect of nutrition less. In terms of the broader science and what's out there, there are enough studies out there where we can look at the, the meta-analyses, which are sort of studies that combine 
data across a lot of different nutritional interventions and, and look at brain and cognition outcomes. And, and from those studies, you know, that the Mediterranean diet seems to keep having a lot of uh, evidence in terms of its benefit. There's even um, a study called DASH, or not a study, yeah. but a diet program called DASH that, yeah, that's all about um, sort of promoting a type of diet that would improve and maintain blood pressure because again, then blood pressure is such a key aspect of our vascular function that uh, we need to manage to, to maintain brain health as we get older. And so anything that can sort of bring in the components of the, the Mediterranean diet, I think is always a good thing in terms of vegetables, legumes, beans, um, and sort of limiting the, the saturated fats. So those types of programs have continued to have a lot of evidence. And then you know, it's, it's always tough to think about the, the, the sort of interactions between the two. There's some studies that have shown that physical activity can weaken the um, negative effects of high fat diets. But, you know, ultimately, we, we hope to see that they're working together. And we want to see that, you know, how could diet help you have more energy to be more active and get more movement in your day um, and sort of sort of think about them uh, together. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's, it's such a, it's coming from um, the experience I have with the patients that I serve is like, mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of the people when we're talking about the DASH eating plan for those who have hypertension or things like that, it's like, and they're telling me they have $50 in food stamps or they, they're, they're really struggling. Exercise mm-hmm. is free. <laughs> so it's like mm-hmm. really focusing on that. So, so it's really trying to figure out what that understanding there's a balance between the two, you know what I mean? But um, if someone can at least get some exercise as they're working on their diet, are there some, um, are they doing that for a good reason? You know what I mean? Are, is it doing something for them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, what's important about the exercise trial, the studies that have looked at how exercise can improve cognition and, and, and the, the findings in the brain underneath that cognition is, is that in those studies, sort of like our studies, I guess, where we don't uh, measure diets per se, then you can think of the benefits uh, as evidence that it's independent of what diet is. Because we often in these studies, what happens is participants come in, they're not active, they enroll in a structured program to increase their activity. They're compared to a group that might uh, be less active or not have activity. And then if we see cognitive benefits, we know that independent of all the diets that people are on, we still see those benefits. So that's one way to think about uh, getting that benefit of physical activity with any range of diet that's out there um, that we see in our studies that even if we don't control for it, we see benefits, control for diet. Right, right. No, that that makes sense. So, you know, for someone that's already experiencing a cognitive decline and and they want to they, they want to join a program or do something. Is it one of those things where it's like you're already experiencing and you can't slow that down? Or what kind of things have you um, experienced with someone that's already going through that decline and they start, you know, a program, a physical exercise program or nutrition? Um, does that help slow down that process? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, thankfully, across the studies, uh, there does seem to be benefit at any stage of cognitive decline. As you get in the later phases of cognitive impairment, um, the the benefits tend to be a little smaller and tend to be more in the sort of mood and and 
in basic function, which which is still a win. Um, and so overall, uh, you know, there, there can be benefits at any at any stage of cognitive impairment. What's encouraging as well, though, is that those those activities earlier in life do pay off down the road. So middle age activity, uh, later life activity before that cognitive decline happens can sort of put some resources in the bank to, to sort of delay out that cognitive decline. Yeah. Right. So the benefits do seem to be bigger earlier uh, in terms of the benefit that you see when people are 50s and 60s is bigger than when they're in their 70s and 80s. Right. But at the same time, there's, there's, there's benefits at any stage of cognitive impairment as well. Yeah. Absolutely. So you, you touched on something earlier in the conversation around like when people think of physical activity or, you know, the intensity of it kind of mm-hmm. say, I'm just going to sit this one out when it comes to intensity. Um, mm-hmm. when, we're, when we're talking about exercise requirements to improve cognitive function, are there some mm-hmm. other minimum requirements or what does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that's important, I think for us all to to look at is the the evidence in terms of how much and how hard. So anything's better than nothing. And so in terms of the how much, uh, you know, the biggest improvements are seen when you go from nothing to getting just even 10, 20 minutes into your week. Um, we even had a study where uh, actually the, the one group had four minutes of higher intensity activity three times a week. So 12 minutes a week. And going from inactive to just having that improve their fitness just as much as, as another group that had, you know, 30 minutes each of those sessions. And so even a little bit makes a big difference. And in terms of, so that's important in terms of finding something that you like, if you just get started with a little bit, that still will have benefit for, for your cognitive outcomes. Um, In terms of how much then as as we look at the guidelines and look across studies of studies, it seems like you can get uh, to good benefits if you get to 150 minutes a week of getting that moderate intensity. But again, there's a lot of benefits underneath that, uh, where you're going from just a little to a little more. Um, And so the key thing is to work up to it and not feel like you have to get there right away to see benefits. Um, So how long does it take? You asked how long it takes. So, so there's two ways to think about, um, how long it takes. One is that it's interesting to know that in studies that look at the effects of single sessions of exercise. So uh, this idea, you know, you might get up in the morning, go for a run, and then you feel like you have more focus right after that. Right. In studies, when we look at that kind of paradigm, that, that seems to be the case that there's this immediate benefit within like the first hour uh, on focus and memory um, and anything that might involve like switching your attention to different things. Um, and so that's a, it's an immediate benefit. It goes away after a little bit, um, but it's still there. And it might be a clue that that benefit might persist if we kept doing the exercise at that time. So there can be benefits from even single sessions. Then the studies that look across the studies of studies and say, okay, well, what if you compare like four weeks of training to two years of training? Do you see a bigger benefit? And actually it's it's pretty similar from the shorter training to the longer really? training, similar cognitive benefits, which is surprising. We don't know, you know, if people are hitting that new potential, that new baseline quickly and just sort of staying there. And we don't know physically what to change about the program to, to keep it 
keep cognitive function improving, or if it's just a principle of what we're changing in the brain, we've just, we, we can do it pretty quickly. And then maintenance is really what's happening over time. So that's something that in our lab we're trying to study is this time effect, because obviously the quicker you see benefits, that's really rewarding and you want to keep it up. Um, and then just sort of then also, though, have we reached our peak, at, you know, when you see benefits that are as big at four weeks as they are at two years, you wonder if we can do better. And so understanding sort of how we're affecting the brain can help us can help us do that, I think. Right. A couple of things when I hear that one is like, it's for me, it's super exciting to know that like you, your, your mindset of when you hear exercise, like, Oh, I got to be at the gym for an hour every day. Like, no, you can do small things, small, you know, small steps. Yeah. You might have to utilize some effort, but you can still see some, you can still see some benefits from that. Um, but mm-hmm. also it, it blows my mind how, you know, how crazy the brain is and how it, how it works. Like there's so much we know, but there's so much we don't know about about it and how it works or what happens. I'm sure working um, Mm -hmm. with that yourself is, it kind of keeps you on your toes almost every day. It's always, it seems like there could be something always something new. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, totally. There's, there's the fascinating, the brain in terms of that we have these individual cells that are there that are doing the work and require, right, that require nutrients from our blood and, and that blood flow, and that those cells can't do the work on their own. So they have to work in teams or in networks. Right. And so what we do in our lab, one of the things that our lab does a lot is sort of understand this, this, this network function, and how that enables these cognitive abilities, like memory and, and focus of attention that we, we want to maintain as long as we can. And and putting this together is a massive data problem. And the technologies for imaging the brain and its structure and how these different areas of the brain are working together are continually changing and improving. And so, yeah, it blows my mind when we're, when we're working with students and we're just looking at how we can measure the connections of the brain and see it change with an intervention program within a given person. It's, it's so exciting. Yeah. But we have a lot to learn. <laughs> <laughs> right. So within, I want to talk about the lab a, l- a little bit, um, because I really think that's a, a really uh-huh. great thing for, for students who are trying to get into that. Um, when when you're doing studies, is it a different study every year? Or is it one study that you're focusing on for multiple years? Like how, do, how um, does that work within the lab? Yeah, it can be a little bit of both. We, we have, for example, one study we've been running for four years now. Um, which oh, is wow. a, a training study, an intervention study where participants uh, are inactive before they start the study, uh, which means they're not getting up to an hour of activity uh, that's getting their heart rate up uh, in a week. And then we introduce a structured program and we are varying the intensity and understanding then, you know, that idea of how much do we gain from higher intensity. And so for that study, participants trained for six months. So, and we want to get up to about 120 people. And that takes, um, over time, we have a couple people each month enroll. And so over four years, we sort of keep running the study. And, and it's exciting to see students come in and learn on the job, so to speak. So they learn about what happens to the brain as people get older. They get to meet participants and learn about what they're experiencing. They get to see how we study it in the scientific uh, sort of paradigm in terms of measuring cognition in the lab with computer-based tasks. Um, so what I love about the the research lab uh, is that we get to sort of understand how the brain works and how we could improve it. 
but we're sort of then sharing that in with, with students who are learning this information and learning how to generate new ideas and create studies of their own and, and learn about the community at the same time. So, so that's an example though, of a study that's been four years going. And so we're really excited to finish uh, next May. And then there's other studies that can be smaller. So they might be sort of a question that comes up that we can answer within a, by running it within a couple months. And then we'll sort of design the study, enroll participants, a uh, student would lead that type of project. And then uh, we sort of see what we learn and then we design our next study. So there's a little bit of both kind of a diversity of, of, of portfolio there. Yeah. Man, I'm so jealous. So when I was at, when I was at, the, when I was at the University of Iowa, I was a research assistant for the Spatial Perception and Memory Lab. And, uh-huh. and you know, I, I called in participants. Like, I, I just, like, I called people, like, mailed stuff. I think I did one study, but, like, mm-hmm. it wasn't enough for me to be like, man, this is really, really cool. It's like, man, I, I don't want to come back in here and just keep calling participants to come in. It's like, <laughs> man, now I can hear about these other things. It's like, gosh. <laughs> but that's so cool they have that. <laughs> University of Iowa. But, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, and, you know, it's. It's yeah, and every lab's different, which is which is interesting too. And and one thing we're trying to do as a department is is help students sort of find what different opportunities are out there and mm-hmm. and be able to try different you know research environments or just different problems that research is on and and kind of see what fits or what clicks and get them excited or not, uh, but still know what research right. what, what what we do with research. Um, yeah, because you know, every day we read studies, we read about studies in the news, or or sort of hear about, you know, a new finding, and and having that little bit of even that little bit of experience helps you helps it sink in in terms of what it looked like to run that study and and, and think about what the results might mean. Yeah, absolutely, and and not to get off of mm-hmm. too much of a, a you know off of the topic, but you know, bringing up just your average person trying to read research, reading research is hard. It is hard. So yeah, I, I definitely appreciate that, that, that understanding of where to look or what to look for is, is super important. But, um, but yeah, so, so my next question, you know, in one that um, when I was doing some research before our, our interview um, came up a lot and it's, you know, exercise as the fountain of youth or, you know, um mm you know, exercise, taking years off of your life, things like those were kind of the articles that I was finding. And I was like, okay, this must be a, a big question people ask or wonder about. And it's, you know, what does it mean when people say exercise slows aging or takes time or takes, you know, age off of your life or 10 years or whatever the case may be? What, is, what does that mean? Is there truth to that, you know, from, from your perspective? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think those articles are very exciting when you see the headlines and you're like, oh, <laughs> yes, I'm looking for this. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah like, so if we think about that uh, within the way our studies work, we could think, um, you know, if we look, for example, we had, there was one study that I was involved in when I was in graduate school where we looked at the impact of one year of exercise on the brain and, and, and memory. And, and what we found was that an area of the brain, the hippocampus, um, which is really important for memory, uh, that it can actually grow uh, over the course of a year when people have exercise introduced to their 
routine and this was 150 minutes a week. This is like the standard intervention, 150 minutes a week, getting their heart rate up. So over the course of that year, this structure, the structure in the brain grew about one to 2%. And the importance of that is that without the exercise, so the control group that didn't get their heart rate up, uh, but had the same social interactions and presumably actually similar diet, um, their hippocampus shrunk or grew smaller one to 2%. Mm. And so one way to think about that is if we think of the over time, uh, the accumulation of, of aging can damage tissues and the brain is no different. So some areas of the brain uh, will shrink and the connections between those areas start to get damaged or broken off. And so when we think about, at least for us, when we think about how exercise uh, delays or creates the fountain of youth for the brain, um, we're thinking about slowing that process or slowing the shrinkage and maintaining the connections and sort of reverting what would otherwise happen at a faster rate with aging. Um, so that's like a, that's one way we can think about it is if we think of there's an average rate without activity of negative effects of aging. With physical activity, we're slowing that rate. So we might even just be staying stable. Of course, best case is, is we're sort of getting getting higher than we were otherwise uh, in, in either right. volume or function. But um, but we think about rates of decline and, and are we kind of having impact on that slope of rate? Yeah. Right. So if you're if you're 40 years old, you're still 40. <laughs> like the, yeah, <laughs> you're still 40. You may have the hippocampus of a 30 year old, <laughs> right? But you are still 40. That's awesome. But you, um, is, yeah. <laughs> uh, Dr. Voss, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, and I'm I was super excited about this. I think this is a great great conversation, and things you're doing are just really really interesting and awesome. Um, for those that are interested to learn more about you and what you do or more, learn more about the, the lab at the University of Iowa, uh, where can they reach out to you at? Where can they find you? Yeah, yeah. So our lab, we're, we're on Facebook, which is one way we um, put out information about what we're doing or any new studies that are out there. And so that's the Health Brain Cognition Lab. Um, and then... So that's one place to look on Twitter. I'm Voss HBC. So my last name with our lab acronym of HBC. And that's where all like different studies that are out or different things that are happening in research or show off some of the stuff our students are doing um, and that kind of thing. And, and in general, then, um, you know, you can look for us on the Psych Iowa as well. So sort of that's one way to know what the department is doing and sort of where we're interacting with the department. Um, one thing I wanted to share that I'm excited about in terms of something that's happening, that's happening right now, is a study that we've started up in collaboration with the Health and Human Physiology Department. And so in that study, it's called the Sleep Move Stand Study, and it's a free intervention. It's eight weeks uh, intervention where participants would get uh, hooked up with a health coach and learn about ways to change physical activity, but also some of those other things that can help us be more physically active, like sleep and and also work on just sitting less to, to move more. And, and so that's a study we're excited about because it's student run. And so students are learning again, sort of on the job there, learning how to be health coaches and learning how to assess different aspects of aging. Um, but importantly, it's free and open to, to anyone that would want to participate. And so they can learn about that on our Facebook page uh, or through the Community Health Collaborative uh, website that's in Health and Human Physiology. 
Oh, cool. And when does that start? So we're it's starting each semester since it's uh, oh, run right through a class, which I love. Yeah, it's run through a class. So we're enrolling now, and then uh, enrollment would happen probably throughout August uh, for that cohort of the intervention. And then every new academic semester will be a new opportunity uh, for people to enroll. So if you don't make it in this semester, there's always the next semester, and you can reach out to the study team anytime to express interest and learn about it. Awesome. And I'll, I'll make sure I have those links in the description of, of the episode so people can go to those if, they, um, if they're interested. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. This was, this was super fun. Yes, thank you so much for being on. Um, and um, again, thank you. And everyone, thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. Uh, I'll highlight you next time.